Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 67. I uh, wanted to get some stuff uh, out of the way, some announcements real quick. Uh, but you know, before I do that, because uh, one of these announcements has to do with my uh, my beloved co-host, I will bring him in now, Josh Long. Josh. Tyler. How are you? I'm doing all right here on Labor Day, Labor Day weekend. That's right. Just, I don't like uh, doing those timestamps. I like people to think that this is always happening. It's okay. Just, it could have happened eight weeks ago. could have happened tomorrow. I don't know. Okay. Well, here we are tomorrow. Yeah. Talking about those big events that are happening. Absolutely. That are that have shocked us all tomorrow. In the future. In the f- Sorry, I was thinking of uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space. In the near and current future. Future events such as these will affect you in the future. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. It, but listener, if you've never seen... Plan 9 from Outer Space. Seek it out. It's a lot of fun. Your stupid minds. Stupid. 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 Easy, buster. All right. Anyway. <laughs> Those are from the movie. Those are not things that we just decided to say to one another Yeah, we're not calling you st- We're not saying your minds are stupid, listener. Um, okay. So, uh, let's see. There's nothing uh, particularly new on the website. Um, there is uh, a couple new sermons that, that I've posted. But you may know, you may notice, if you went to the website, oh boy. There's, a little, there's a little graphic on the right-hand side there. That's What's your that? right, not screen right. And that is, uh, you'll see it's a little uh, little cartoon-looking thing there. Oh. And it says, for the title. Well, what does that mean? Let, well, me, let me tell you. And then it'll say, like, only, uh, only $10. $10? $10. Whatever it is, it sounds like a deal already. Absolutely. Um, and then $1.79 shipping. So, Okay. For the title, Josh, what is it? Well, everyone, it's a movie. Okay. That's all you need to know. $10, $10. It's pretty cheap for a movie. That's, that's a pretty good deal. Uh, for the title is my uh, feature debut as a film director. If you like Christopher Guest movies and you like Ultimate Frisbee, this is the perfect movie for you. If you just like one of those things... You might still like it. This is a pretty good movie for you still. If you don't um, like either one of them like myself then just hit the road jack yeah well, we don't even want your money <laughs> uh but yeah so um so we uh josh has a bunch of bunch of copies of them i got thought, lots of them which i'd love to uh to sell to you guys you'll be excited you'll be as excited to get them as i will be to send them to you i'd say that's a okay hang on now i guarantee you are it. either overestimating their excitement or underestimating yours. Or maybe it's exactly right. I th- I'm going to go with exactly right. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so what you can do is you can um, go to morethanonelesson.com and then there will be a graphic there. And I'm going to leave it there probably for like the next month. Uh, but if you're hearing this after uh, the end of September, then you can just go into the store uh, section and you will find a link to it. And uh, there you, can, you will be paying for it through PayPal. Um, you don't necessarily need a PayPal account. You can pay with your debit card or credit card or whatever, or your mm-hmm. own PayPal account. But yeah, it is ten dollars plus a dollar seventy nine shipping. Yep. And uh, it's yeah, a, it's a fun mockumentary about two ultimate frisbee teams in a small town league. It's a lot of silly character stuff. It's about about ninety minutes, yeah. so it's a good brisk comedy. Yes, I've seen it and I uh, and I enjoyed it, and I think you guys will too. So for the title, written and directed by one Josh Long. That's me, everybody. Uh, and actually, there is going to be, uh, we don't totally know 
what the date on this will be yet, but uh, keep an eye out for Josh's web series, which will be, uh, I'll probably, you know, put it in a, in a post on the website, but uh, his, his uh, web series, The Unemployed Mind. Yes. That will be uh, that will start uh, start airing in in September. It should some be point. yeah. Should the first episode should go out before the end of September. We're working out the details for the exact release date, but uh, it's coming up pretty soon here now. So get excited! Absolutely, I am excited. I'm thrilled. Everybody's excited, from what I hear. Yeah, if everybody that you hear talking about it is excited. It's excited about it. That's a hundred percent right there. <laughs> hey, um, can't get more successful than that, can you? So uh, okay. And then one last thing, um, because I it, because I recently set up a PayPal account for us, um, I went ahead and, and added a, a donate button. Uh, so if you wanted to donate to the show, and I've gotten emails from people in the past saying I would like to donate, you know, whatever. And it, and at the time, because I at the time I was thinking like, well, it's hey, you know, it's a labor of love. It's fine. Just keep listening and tell your friends and that sort of thing. But uh, now it is not a labor of love. I hate it. That's, of course, a joke. But, uh, but yeah, it, is, it, it does uh, cost money for bandwidth. And to store all the old episodes, I was thinking of taking some older episodes down because I'm not particularly proud of them. But pe- some people like them. So, okay, fair enough. Uh, but it does cost money to leave them up uh, uh, perpetually. So uh, if you wanted to donate anything, that's fine. But how about this? Buy yourself a copy of For the Title first. And then you can donate next month. So, uh, and then I also wanted to let everyone know this probably won't happen for the next uh, two episodes or so. But um, uh, we are going to start doing something a little bit different. Uh, there are going to be a couple episodes that are a little off format, uh, and it'll have to do with movies that are older than. Because the format, as you know, is movies that are within like the last five years, with a couple of exceptions, a movie like uh, Crash or something like that. It's older than that. But we try to keep it to within the last five years so that it is sort of in the cultural uh, mindset a little bit. Yeah, uh, enough that everybody's, everybody has, uh, has something to say about it. Yeah, or they, they, have, yeah, they have some association with it, uh, positive or negative. So, um, so that's, that's the format. And then, of course, we have... Uh, uh, as the companion film, we have something that is that is probably ten to fifteen years old or older than that. Uh, but I realize that there are some there are some movies that are older than fifteen years, but they also but they they're too big to work as a companion film. Like they require sort of an episode all their own. So that's probably something we're going to be doing in the future. Uh, it'll just be a, an episode here and an episode there, and it's probably only about 10 to 15 movies uh, overall. And so we're not going to do it as a series or anything. It'll just be every once in a while we'll, we'll touch on this. So the first one we'll do, which will probably be in about three to four weeks, will be uh, the film uh, A Man for All Seasons, which is a movie that I love and I think has actually uh, grown in cultural relevance for uh, for the Christians, so and and those films that we're that we're thinking of dedicating an entire episode to, a lot of those are ones that deal with uh, more with some particular Christian issue at face value. Yeah, it um, deals with it very overtly. There's not all that uh, bending over backwards like we do to make it relevant to you, <laughs> um, as we do with all the other movies. Like to normally, it's a stretch. Absolutely, uh, we're the first ones to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. 
but uh, we locked into this. I locked into this format before I had any idea what I was what I was talking about. We start, now I'm just kind of lying. We started doing a thing where we just we have a like a list of the movies that came out in the last four years, five years, and we just open a book and point. And right. Then we got to come up with something. Well, what we do is we point we we close our eyes and point at a list of movies that have come out in the last four years. Then we open the Bible and point. Uh, also with our eyes closed right. it's like oh lust and here we have uh i don't know the descendants okay we'll make it work let's there's, do it there's got to be something in there so uh but yeah so that's something it's it's not going to be happening uh, anytime soon but you you if that pops up you may wonder like well what is this is this a full episode uh it probably will be a full episode it might not be as long but but who knows so uh but this episode is going to be right on target as this, far as format. Goes. This is that old familiar format. Don't worry. Yeah. Although actually there is going to be a slight format change <laughs> uh, because um, as as uh, mentioned in the past, uh, there are um, some people that like the plot summaries of movies and some people that don't. Uh, so what we're going to try and do is keep the plot summaries but keep them brief it's to the point where i actually wrote it down for today's movie and uh so that we can just touch on it and then keep moving so hopefully that'll keep the episode a little bit shorter and for those that have seen the movie and don't feel like just a recounting of of everything that happened uh they don't have to sit through several minutes uh, of that so all right uh so today's movie well actually before i get to that um in the past on several episodes uh i I there's a phrase that I would regularly use, um, and sometimes I would explain it, sometimes I wouldn't. Uh, I probably, I, I honestly don't think I need to explain it, but you never know. Um, and the idea was uh, was seeing people as people. Uh, I w- I would bring it up in I don't know what did I uh, like the Winnebago Man episode and and that sort of thing. And what that really means is. And it's worth it's worth noting uh, this time of year when uh, tensions are running high politically um, that, uh, you know, you see people that are different from you and even some people that are the same as you. And and, uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. But you see people that are different than you and you see the difference first. You see, oh, they don't believe the same same thing I do. They don't like the same things I do. They don't look the same way as I do. And so you treat them merely as an idea and that the idea is somebody that is in some way opposed to me. And if you treat them only, and in that sense, you'll only treat them as an obstacle. You won't treat them as a person, but in fact, everybody, even, even people that you don't like, even people that are jerks, they have the same, you know, they have experiences, they have passions, they have loves, they have philosophies, and they have probably arrived at them in a way that is similar to how you arrived at yours. Now, this is not necessarily, by the way, a, a plea for, uh, for relativism. I do not uh, believe that that is the right approach, but it certainly, uh, it certainly means that you can recognize that this person is not unlike you. It's more of a call for, I think, mutual respect. Yes. And that, like, we, just because somebody is, and we've all heard this a million times, but it's, it's hard, it's easier said than done. Um, just because somebody is different from you or has different beliefs, uh, they still observe the same amount of respect that you do. They still, right. you know, they get the same treatment uh, in, in a, in a, God gives them the same treatment Right, that they do us, yes. and that's the way that 
we ought to look at things. Um, I'm always, I always think of the uh, the Atticus Finch quote that I love. That I, I probably now I'm going to paraphrase it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, he says you can't really know a man until you've had to walk around in his shoes for a little while, or put on his shoes and walk around in them for a bit, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, you and get that's, the idea. And and I mean, it doesn't mean like literally putting on the man's shoes, but it also doesn't literally mean just trying to imagine yourself in every single one of their circumstances. But you can, but you at least acknowledge like, well, I've had these experiences, whatever those might be, and I've arrived at these conclusions, whatever those might be. What What is my reasoning for thinking that this person hasn't, that this person is just being intellectually dishonest or this person's just being a jerk for the sake of being a jerk? Yeah. Uh, or that they're, that they're, Somehow separated or incapable of something because of their race or uh, yeah. ethnicity or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, so that is something that I have uh, explored on the show in in the past, and uh, and I'm going to we're going to be addressing a, a side of it uh, this time around, and I and I think that that it will be very what what we have to say will be very important uh, specifically for fellow Christians. Uh, the movie that we're going to be talking about, it, but we'll, we'll get more to the, the themes, uh, uh, after some basic discussion of the film itself. Uh, the movie that we're going to be discussing today is The Blind Side, written and directed by John Lee Hancock, who also, uh, directed the movie The Rookie, which I did not see. He's also and a talented blues musician, I believe. You're very funny. I know. He's, of course, making reference to John Lee Hooker or Herbie Hancock. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you know. Could be either one. But um, he also directed the movie The Alamo, which I actually liked quite a bit and wound up being much better than I ever thought it was going to be. Uh, So The Blind Side is based on the book of the same name written by Michael Lewis, who also wrote the book uh, that Moneyball was based on. Which Uh, surprised me greatly. Yes. But when you go back and and look at uh, what... Like, I, I looked at the summary of the book The Blind Side, and it is a very... It's structured very differently than this film, and so when you look at it from that point of view, it's like, ah, okay, yes, I see what Michael Lewis, how the same person could be responsible for these two seemingly very different books. So, um, all right, before we uh, get into some of the uh, some of like the cast details and, and that sort of thing, we'll we'll give a, a brief a brief rundown of the of the plot, which I have written down here. So one of us is going to read it. And I think that one will be you. The listener. Go. Listener? Wow us. Okay, go ahead. All right, I'll just do it. Because you're taking forever, Ugh. listener. All right. Um, so here's a little bit about the plots. Uh, based on the true story of Baltimore Ravens offensive tackle Michael Ower, the, bl- the blind side is... <laughs> Uh, 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 moving on the blind side is about the relationship between a teenage michael and wealthy socialite leanne tui early in the film michael's brought into a prestigious private christian school that wants to take advantage of his impressive size for their football team however michael is homeless and quickly falls behind in school leanne and her family find michael walking in the rain and take him in giving him opportunities that he's never had before they give him his own room buy him some new clothes and they get him a tutor uh, that's Tutor with a T, not yeah. Tudor as in uh, Henry VIII. Right. Eventually... Stay tuned for our uh, Man for All Seasons episode. <laughs> a joke that Michael Ower probably might have, wouldn't have understood. Um, the character, at least. Right. Before, the, before his tutor, of course. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, eventually, uh, Michael becomes a part of the family and buys, uh, and they buy him new clothes. I'm sorry, I jumped jumped there a little bit. Yeah. Uh, eventually, he becomes part of the family and he gains the confidence and experience to become a formidable football player who goes on to attend Leanne's alma mater, the University of Mississippi. This raises some eyebrows as some start to wonder if perhaps Leanne and her husband, Sean, also an Ole Miss graduate, genuinely care about Michael or only wanted to recruit him for their college's football team. With the Tui's motivations questioned, tensions arise between Michael and Leanne as they reassess the nature of their relationship. Okay. That is the plot summary. That's what happens in the movie. Exactly. The Blind Side. Indeed. 2009. Written and directed by John Lee Hancock. So, all right. Uh, a couple of, a couple of uh, cast notes. So Leanne Tui is played by Sandra Bullock, who won the Best Actress Oscar that year. She did. Uh, for this film. For this film, yes. That's, <laughs> I should, I, you know what? I, I guess I just took, I just assumed people would, would assume that. But you know what? I shouldn't take that for granted. I should spell it all out. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so she won for this film. Uh, the movie was also nominated for Best Picture. That was the, this was the first year that they extended... Uh, expanded from five to ten yeah, best pictures. To so ten. Yeah. So, uh, in my opinion, they were kind of scraping the the bottom of the barrel a little bit there with some of those picks. Well, um, and the yeah, okay. So, well, I guess we'll talk about this a little bit. Um, yeah, the theory was that because the year before, a couple of very notable films, including uh, The Dark Knight and Wally, were not nominated, and everyone said these movies are every bit as good as you know some of the other nominated movies that year, like The Reader and stuff like that. And they were very successful, but because one is a superhero movie and because one is an animated film, they uh, they probably... the Technically, they could be nominated, but the voters, the Oscar voters, probably wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, this happened at the same time that the Oscars were not being uh, watched very often. And so the theory was maybe if if, you know... The regular people living in in old uh, Peoria, there. The normies, yeah, in uh, flyover country. Am I right? Uh, they maybe if they had a bit more skin in the game as far as like the yeah. nominated films, maybe they would watch the actual ceremony. Now, the official story is: Hey, there's so many great movies every year that why limit it to just five? But those who know a little a, a little bit behind the Oscars can be very cynical like myself and recognize eh, they're not getting the viewers and yeah people will and there is I remember years ago um, in 2007 or in 2008 uh, technically um, I remember driving through Hollywood and seeing a big uh, billboard for the MTV movie awards and it said featuring the movies you actually saw <laughs> and I remember being like that's a terrible attitude, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but yes, and so 2009, you had the movies that, like, you you had the five obvious nominees, mm-hmm. and then you had... Their little brothers. You had their little brothers. <laughs> it, but you know what? In some cases, like, for example, a movie like An Education was nominated. And mm-hmm. An Education is a very, very good movie. Yeah. But then you had... And so it's like it's like oh they can they can bring in smaller movies but they could also bring in big money makers and the blind side was a huge money maker yeah especially well, compared to its budget and even uh, like an education is one that I think could have snuck in and if it were five like that's one I think possibly is possible but ones like I think District Nine was one of them yes that's a movie that would not get a, a Best Picture nomination right. otherwise so I, I mean the idea is you you get some of these movies in that people actually saw maybe 
but those are never the movies that are going to win. Like, right. If uh, you want to uh, see what the real ones are, look at the five best director nominees. Yeah. Because that's probably that like anyone, any of the five best picture nominees that they are taking seriously, you'll probably see that they also directed them for, for they also nominated from the yeah, for director. Most likely. So it's, 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 it's kind of just pandering. They're trying to get more people yeah. interested by saying, Oh, we're giving your, you know, your favorite movie a chance too. But, uh, I guess it's also kind of assuming that America's favorite movie is something like the blind side or district nine instead of maybe avatar. Well, that was that year and, yeah. uh, avatar was nominated and it was going to be nominated. Yeah. Avatar no probably would have made it in. Yeah. Regardless. But um, yeah, it's, but, and, and, and by nominating the blind side, they're also sort of catering to a different type of audience as well. Yeah. Um, because the blind side was much beloved by, and I apologize if, when I, when I talk about like the people in middle America and fly over country, I'm being facetious. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, uh, you're saying that because that's the way that the executives planning the Oscars ex- might be thinking of exactly. their audience. Um, but, to a certain extent, and I'm sorry to put it this way, they're right. The people that I know that really love The Blind Side, for the most part, have a, a they look for different things in movies than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do not argue with my mom very often when it comes to movies. The Blind Side caused an argument um, mm-hmm. because she loved it and I did not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it is kind of a, a frustrating film, and and so I've already kind of spoiled what I thought of the film which is i did not care for it but well i think it's an interesting one for us to talk about also because it it definitely appeals to the uh to the heartland christian man mentality Mm -hmm. because it it definitely is at least trying to portray christians in a positive light i think they're supposed to be a a christian family the 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 twoies and um so yeah i think that's that's something that's that we can talk about in in yeah. uh, in that light as well, and so uh, so yeah. So I apologize that we kind of took that uh, diversion about the Oscars, but it is it is worth noting that uh, the because I'm pretty convinced that even with even if they had not expanded it to ten uh, best picture nominees, I'm pretty sure Sandra Bullock still would have been nominated for actress because there was a lot of heat behind her performance. Yeah, and so. Um, so yeah, it's and she and she might still have won, but it's it's worth noting and and uh it happened again uh, this past year with extremely loud and incredibly close, which I don't think actually made a lot of money, but it, I think there was some studio uh, uh campaigning there. But The Blind Side was nominated for best actress and best picture. Nothing else. And so and then Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close was nominated for supporting actor and picture. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that this is that I'm maybe giving a little too much credence to the Oscars when I say this, but if a if a movie is really great, if it truly is one of the best pictures of the year, it probably is an achievement in many many categories. Yeah, whether it's nominated or not, like there'll at least be like some like writing or editing or cinematography or directing and maybe and and maybe some acting uh, categories as well. But what something like that illustrates is that clearly this is a film based around one performance mm-hmm. and the performance was nominated, but the movie made money. So let's throw that in as well. Um, anyway, sorry, we're ba- I'm back on that and I didn't mean to be so. Okay. 
I we we I you hadn't seen the Blind Side before you and I watched it together a few days ago. I, I had, had seen part of it before the theater where I was watching it uh, suddenly blew up. Uh, not literally, of course, <laughs> but the projector seemed to just uh, the projector seemed to reject the film because about <laughs> about maybe an hour in, uh, maybe more, uh, the the film started running running upside down and backwards, and I think. I don't remember if the dialogue was running backwards as well. It might not have been, but uh, either way, it was very <laughs> abrupt and dis- and uh, unnerving. The dialogue started running backwards in a much lower pitch, and blood started <laughs> dripping down the walls. Yeah, it was really strange. But uh, and so um, so they get the the theater gave us our money back, or they gave us the option of like another ticket to a different showing of The Blind Side, and. I'll be honest, after an hour plus of the movie, I was like, I think I get it. Uh, I will just take the money, please. <laughs> and so... Uh, take the money and run. Absolutely. And I ran back to, well, back to that theater to see something else. But, um, yeah, so this was my first time seeing it all the way through, but I already had seen uh, quite a bit of it uh, when we watched it again. Uh, real quick, because we don't want to spend a lot of time purely on the artistic uh, merits uh, or lack thereof of the film. Uh, let's, uh, let's just jump right, right into it, uh, 25 minutes in. Uh, Josh, what was, your, what was your reaction to The Blind Side? Broad strokes, and then we'll get specific. Uh, broad strokes, I, I thought it was... I thought it was earnest, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it really wanted to... to to show this uh, this true story of this family and and uh, I guess build up that story, mm-hmm. um, but I think it I don't I don't think it succeeds very well for several reasons. One of which being I I don't think it gives enough to the to it doesn't give enough conflict or tension that should be in the story. Mm-hmm. There's there's because it's a relatively long movie. It's what did we say yeah, two it's hours, over two hours, about yeah. two ten. Yeah. So, for a movie that long, there is very little conflict in it. Um, I, I will feel like I would like the movie more if there were more than maybe five minutes of the film where uh, Sandra Bullock's character doesn't get her way. Pretty much right. the entire movie is her going around trying to get something done not trying is the wrong word going around and saying i want this thing and then it happens there's about five minutes at the end there where the the tension that we mentioned in the plot in the plot summary where everyone's suspecting and the ncaa specifically i guess is suspecting that they're just trying to get uh you know they only brought him in and and uh you know took care of him so that they could get him into Ole Miss. Yeah, That's almost like really... they were grooming him right. for this uh, program because they were very invested personally in it. Which is an interesting concept. Like it, yeah. that that could be a, an interesting movie. Um but this film is more concerned with uh just showing how nice it is that this family takes this uh this uh what's, what's the word I'm looking for? He's been cast off by society. Dis disenfranch no. Misfit? No. It starts with a dis. Ugh, I can't think of the word. Anyway. I don't know what to tell you, sorry. This uh this person who has not, you know, not had a chance himself really. They just yeah. bring this guy in, give him a chance. It's more about how nice that is and less about uh a story, really. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's, it is very frustrating because, you know, it's interesting. A moment ago I said, uh, describe what you think about it in broad strokes. Uh, this is a film that deals in broad strokes. Um, it does not deal with specifics. It deals with the, just the general idea of this woman taking in this kid and that's it. Uh, we don't, we don't know much about him because the movie is not about him even though one could say it should be mm-hmm. by one could say, I think I would say that it should be. It is more about her. And I tend to, I bristle a little bit when I see that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be the works of Edward Zwick, who made blood diamond, the last samurai, the samurai and glory. I definitely thought of last samurai while watching this film. Really? Okay. Yeah. And just, you know, or or movies like The Help, which I didn't see, but uh, the the criticism was that like there's just something about seeing the plight of the like urban, uh, low you know lower class black person, seeing that through the eyes of the upper middle class, if not just upper class, upper class. Uh, you know, well to do white person. Um, who was kind enough to stoop to those depths and, right. and help this person. Yes. And so, I, and, that, and I recognize that, yes, that is the story. But it is more from her perspective than his. And part of me feels like, well, that might be... If it's from her perspective, then it's like, look how nice this person is for doing this. And it winds up being, in my view, a little self-congratulatory. And... And beca- and it also, because it's about her, and you talk about this, uh, you talked about this yourself... Um, it suffers from what I call, I don't actually call it this, but it is something that I am aware of from time to time, uh, Aaron Brockovich syndrome, mm-hmm. which is she does get her way a lot, not in, in, but in a, in a very movie type way, in a way that you feel like, I don't think that could actually happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and incidentally, both movies are based on true stories. And by people. Like, and yeah, real people, real like, you know, w- forceful women and all that. And it, but they both fit this idea of the Hollywood, like the forceful woman in a movie. Uh, that, that Hollywood seems to have. And uh, and the problem with that is that she never comes up against any conflict that she doesn't, with like almost the wave of her hand, overcome. And, it's, it, and what it winds up being, I think, is the supporting characters. This, okay, what I'm about to say is very cynical, and I apologize. It's almost as though the supporting characters read the script and realized, okay, this is not about me. This is about her. So I, it is my job to put up a little bit of resistance, but I need to remember this is her film, not mine, and I will give her what she wants. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking partway through that you could have called, we could have called the movie The Blind Side or The Magic Christian. <laughs> I think that might have been a good subtitle for it. But it's, it, yeah, like you were saying, there's all these characters, like, if these are fully fleshed out characters, they have their own uh, goals mm-hmm. and interests and if either you're getting a film that's populated fully with people who who are so lackadaisically committed to their goals and interests that they 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 bend at any anyone else's whim or else you're just not being honest to these characters by not giving them any kind of goals and interests and then in that way making them pretty one-dimensional yeah and so when you have these one-dimensional characters bending to the will of the main character you lack any conflict i was i was actually quite excited when the ncaa starts to question the motives of the twoies because 
because the film actually lets the NCAA, uh, while the while they are not necessarily portrayed in a positive light, you know, the the uh, the representative of of the organization says, you know, if we let this stand, what's to stop any of these other like uh, you know graduates, you know, the, these these like boosters of uh, of these colleges, what's to stop them from taking in these poor kids and basically grooming them for this program that they're so personally invested in? Like, right. what's to stop them? Which and is that good- is a that's a real concern, and that's, that's a, good a good concern. question. And and clearly, it's because this is based on a true star- story, and we know this part of it is true. This really happened, so this yeah. is an actual concern of the NCAA, or at least was at this point. Yeah. So that's something. That's your movie. Like that's your conflict. You got to use something yeah. with that. We like the story. You can with, kick that in like forty-five to fifty minutes in. It, it, yes, it needs to be much sooner in the film. This doesn't show up until. What'd you say? An hour forty-five, hour fifty, oh, maybe. Easily. It's, it's very near the end it, of the movie, towards the end of the third act. Yeah. Like one could say, make it the third act. Yeah, you don't even have to introduce it early in the film. But no, it is towards the end. It's almost, it's almost an afterthought. Almost, really, yeah. And and when you do that, you bring that in, and then they just blow it off so quickly. Like yeah. she sits down and has a talk with Michael. Um, they figure it out, and he decides he's going to go to Ole Miss anyway. Yeah, <laughs> and then we're we're just back on track. Yeah, it's like a slight wrinkle in the in the uh, in the happy montage. And that's the thing is when you have okay, so when you have these one dimensional characters bending to the will of a main character, you have no conflict, and character is revealed through conflict. Yeah, you know what I mean. Other other aside from that, you know, like think about your your own life. I mean, how many people, I don't mean to say that people who have never had anything bad happen to them or whatever, I'm not implying that they have no character or anything like that, but, you know, you really, like, when life really sort of, like, tests your mettle a little bit, that's when you find out who you really are, and incidentally, in movies, when circumstances test the mettle of the main character, that's when we, the audience, find out who they are, and I don't know who Leanne Tui is. And the most insight we get to her is when there is that little bit of conflict, when she has to yeah. ask herself, why are we pushing Michael to play football yeah. so much? And she does say to him at one point, to the film's credit, like, I think you were saying you really like the scene where she says, do you even want to play football? Like, yeah. What do you want? Yeah. And I assumed you wanted to play it. And that's totally on me. Like, yeah. And that was I, I was thrilled by that because that goes directly to the heart of what I was talking about is my big problem, which is this privileged the movie seeing through the point of view of this privileged person who is, you know, being so generous as to help this kid. Now, if that if it had uh, spent like the last 45 minutes with her really wondering, like, what is my motivation be, you know, for doing this is it so that i look good yeah. to myself is it so that i can help my uh my alma mater is it because i genuinely want to help the kid is it a combination of all of them like if you i'm okay with having it be with with the movie being about her provided you give serious weight to those questions which right. it doesn't no it doesn't and it and it, it really... has her ask it once and i love that and yeah. but then then it dismisses it pretty quickly. And then for the most of the rest of the film, she is a almost flawless character. Yeah. Um, she helps, she helps Michael for no, you know, uh, completely altruistically. There's no sense of at the, there's no sense that she has any kind of ulterior motive later on. It's brought up that maybe it, it, you know, they wanted him to play football, but the film in no way makes it seem early on. Like she's like, like that's her end game when she picks him up. Oh, right. like, maybe we can have him play for Ole Miss. Yeah. Um, that's, that's definitely not, 
not what they're thinking. And again, it's a true story and that probably isn't what they were thinking. And I think one thing that is important for us to recognize about the true story is I think it's a great message in the true story. I think it's great that they do take this guy who who hasn't gotten a break otherwise and and help him. It's a it's a great story of charity. Mm-hmm. Um but it's not but that part of it isn't a isn't like a film story. It's not right. any kind of story that that like builds and has any kind of conflict. It's like a nice anecdote. Yeah. Um it's not a feature length film. And there's so much of the film that's just showing good things happen with them, good things happen with them. And there's little bits where maybe like there's a part where Michael doesn't really know how to play football or he's not sure about some things. But then they they uh then you know, Leanne comes down it. and talks to him for yeah, and then immediately he's yeah. now he's fine. He knows how to play. There's there's a uh uh, an exchange that is clearly meant for the trailer that I did not like, uh, and it's Leanne is sitting with her uh, her upper class uh, friends at their club or whatever, and which and those scenes are ridiculous. Note, those, those scenes are bad because her friends are miserable, like yeah. it, and the film film paints them as miserable, and she as a character treats them as if they're miserable people. Right. So we as an audience are like, why in the world does she even hang out with these people? Yeah, and. You've painted these people as so one-dimensionally bad; um, th- they might as well be men from Mars, you know. Yeah, and it's yeah. That's and I'll get to that in a moment. But there's a but there's a scene where one of those women says, "You're changing that boy's life," and then she's like, "No, he's changing mine." No, he isn't. No, she her life doesn't change at all at all through the. She's already film. good, and she remains good. Right. I mean, I guess logistically she's right. There wasn't. A large teenage boy living in her house before now there is so strictly speaking she's right but I, the impression I get is that's not what she means when she says that yeah it's it makes it seem like she's learning something by now having taken this guy in but she's not like she as a character is not changing at all she's not a dynamic character really no one in the film really is no that they that they have any kind of change now Obviously, it's not the true story, so you couldn't do this. But it would it would be more interesting dramatically if she was somehow forced to take him in, or if if maybe she really was bringing him in with an ulterior motive of getting him to play football for the school. If like the school's doing badly and she thinks she can groom him or something like that. Like, or you can have both. You can have yeah them doing well for him, always th- knowing. Hey, it wouldn't be half bad if he played for Ole Miss either. Like this is pretty good. You know, this is a this is a win win. Incidentally, the movie Win Win is very similar to this, <laughs> but I think immensely better. Now, but it is a fiction film, yeah. so there are there are conflicts that the that the writer can put into it. But I also right. find it to be an immensely more satisfying film. So the thing is, if you were if you were tied to the true story as this film is, then it really has more of a responsibility to take the conflict that's actually there, mm-hmm. the actual conflict with the NCAA, and make that a much bigger part of the film. Yeah. Yeah, it's ultimately it's a film that is that is sort of uh, the cinematic embodiment of isn't that nice? Yeah, and that's, th- that's kind of all it is. You said it was an anecdote, and that's it's it's the kind of thing that you see as a, a human interest story on the news for five minutes. And you're like, oh, that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, and there were several scenes in a row. I think I was I was mentioning to you after we watched it where it's like. 
<laughs> everybody's so so painfully happy. It's like there's a scene where they're doing something together and everybody's <laughs> smiling and then they're reading a book together and everybody's smiling and then the girl's outside the door and she's smiling and then we cut to Sandra Bullock smiling in bed yeah. and her husband leans over, leans over and she's like, why are you so happy? And I, I want to be like, we don't, this is not interesting as a movie to just show people being so extremely happy. And that's, and it's not like we want all our movies to be just about miserable people or anything, but at the no. same time, like, the movie needs to be about something more than simply the fact of something. Yeah. Because, well, yeah, it needs to be about more than that. And if you want to show us that these characters are happy, you can do that in a way that may, you, there's a much more effective way that you can do that. Because if we're, if we're invested in their situation and in those characters, then when something good happens to them, it makes us happy without you having to show us five minutes of people smiling. Yeah. Like, j- just showing us people doing things that are making them happy is not an effective way to show us, to make us feel happy about what's happening with these characters. Yeah. It's, it's just like showing puppies. Yeah. Like, you could just cut in a shot of puppies. It's like, oh, isn't that nice? And it's odd that you say that, because um, I feel like the way... And I'm not the first person to say this. I've actually read this analogy elsewhere, and it's... <laughs> when when more than three separate critics all make the same analogy, <laughs> and it's the same thing that I'm like, it's kind of like this. It's like, you know your film's done something wrong. <laughs> Michael is basically a puppy, as far as the film is concerned, they find him, wa- you know, walking along the street out in the rain and they take him in. Not unlike if you took in a puppy and he's just like, he's just got like these big sad eyes and he just, you know, it's, it's like Beethoven or something mm-hmm. like that. But, uh, and, the, and, and I think, uh, uh, Quentin Aaron who plays Michael, I think he does a good job, but he, he can only do so much with what he's given and the character is secondary and, if I were the real Michael Orr, I would feel maybe a little insulted by the way this film treats me. Yeah. Like, I under- hey, I understand, like, if he was just in a bunch of crappy schools, like inner city schools, and he's not really good with reading and writing, and then he comes to this nice school and he does not know how to do any of this. Um, that's that's one thing. I understand that. Yeah. But then, like, he, the fact that he just doesn't understand anything, like the idea that he doesn't understand how football works, except he does a little bit. He's yeah. not completely without knowledge of the game but only only when leanne comes in and says okay look at all these players here imagine these people are your family and you have to protect them and stuff like that and then of course that clicks that clicks over and he becomes the best like the best football player this team has ever seen and it's like can't he do like Okay, I'm about to ask a question, and it's going to sound like I'm saying one thing I'm not. Can't he do anything on his own? Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that as a reflection of Michael Orr or the character of Michael Orr. I'm saying to the movie, can't you allow him to do anything on his own? Yes. Does it always have to be about what Leanne does? Right. Always. He like, only succeeds as a function of her. And yes. part of it, part of that has to be true because she's brought him to a point where he's able to succeed. But... <laughs> It's kind of funny that in a movie that's applying so or that's appealing so much to Heartland Middle America mm-hmm. that you have a character who can't take care of himself um is never able to like rise up from the depths by his own like uh, working, you know, hard work and determination. It's more yeah. that he's getting a handout from people the entire time. Yeah, it's th- there's like that idea of you know, like I can open the door but you have to go through it. Mm-hmm. She a good, like a good version of this story would have had her opening the door, but he has to go through it. 
But in this, she opens the door and she pushes him through it every step of the <laughs> and way. He doesn't know where he's going and he yeah. doesn't know how to walk and then he falls down and she picks him up. And and it's I think it's a little insensitive to his character. It might be I don't like to I don't I don't necessarily say I don't think I'll do this, but it it might be even a slight bit racially insensitive, maybe a little bit because it does sort of communicate. I mean, you mentioned middle America upper middle class Christians white frankly like it's it's look it it's like here's a character just like you and look how great she is to this poor black kid mm. you're pretty good you're pretty all right these people they can't do anything on their own mm. thankfully you're there yeah I don't know but but I, I'm not sure if I would go so far as to say the movie is racist or any or even I don't even know if racially insensitive is the way to, to the way to put it but it does it does sort of communicate it panders in a very specific way that winds up being offensive to almost all the other characters in the film yeah like every character that isn't her and it does it does bother me too a little bit that apparently for those who don't know um, Michael Ower has come out and said like I I did know how to play football. Like yeah. the family didn't have to teach yeah. me how to play football. He, I mean, he stipulates, he's like, you know, I, I, I understand why they did this for the film, but right. I knew how to play football. Like exactly. It's almost like he had to save face and be like, look, I wasn't totally pathetic. All right. I, yeah. And I not only, did he, not only did he know how to play football, I think in reality he played, he ran track there and he played basketball too, or something I don't know like if that. he ran track, but he, he took part in like, like a uh, discus and stuff okay. like that. Uh, but yeah. yes, he also played basketball. He like lettered in basketball track and then he was, you know, part of the football team. So like he was able to do a lot. Well, and again, that goes back to me being frustrated about where this film chooses to put its tension and how it chooses to focus on the conflict is that if you, if in reality the kid was very talented at sports, that only builds into that true story of, mm-hmm. um, you know, the conflict being there of maybe they were just trying to get him into Ole Miss. Yeah. Like if he really did know how to play sports and he really was good and that was clearly, you know, immediately obvious, then that makes that conflict more interesting. But I, I think the whole reason that that's not where the movie goes is because that's not what it wants to be about. It doesn't it doesn't really want to tell that story. It wants to tell a story of a nice family, nice rich family who shows charity to a poor kid. And even that's being too generous uh, to the movie because it's not about the nice rich family. It's about this nice, nice rich woman. It really, and that gets into another thing that you and I really don't like about the movie. Yeah. Which is the portrayal of the rest of the family, which uh, we've already talked about how a lot of the other characters, because they just bend to Leanne's will the entire time they end up being kind of one dimensional. And I think the worst is, is the husband in it. And played by Tim McGraw, and I think his performance is fine for what it is. It, it's good enough that it makes me wish they had developed the character more. Yeah, and I don't know how much we want to we want to totally delve into this. Although I guess it does kind of deal with the theme of, oh, of yeah. treating people as real people. Um, I, I very much don't like the way that this paints uh, marriage, yeah. uh, their relationship. Now they're happy, and that's great. And she's a strong woman. Which uh, don't get me wrong, I don't mean to say that because she's a strong woman in the film, and a lot of times takes the lead in the family. Right. Uh, I, I don't think that that makes it bad but um the way that they've written the husband is such that he he has nearly no say in what happens in the family he just kind of like chuckles and rolls over for whatever whatever leanne asks yeah um he doesn't seem to have he doesn't have any will of his own like what does he want in the movie yeah apparently maybe all he wants is to make leanne happy and um 
<laughs> and that's not the worst, but that does yeah. not necessarily make for a dynamic character. And, exactly. And also, like, like if it's I, you could have had a movie about the whole family's relationship to Michael. They they develop Leanne's. They develop like the, their their youngest child, a, a, a precocious a precocious young boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like his relationship to the to to Michael, but they don't develop. Uh, the fathers and that I think is such a horrible misstep because that would have been fascinating because much is made of the film that he does not that Michael has only ever been abandoned by men Mm -hmm. and does not trust men Mm -hmm. he does not necessarily trust his coach and but he does seem to sort of trust the character of Sean that which is the the husband character he trusts him a little bit and that seems like a huge breakthrough that the film is not interested in doesn't do anything with and and doesn't portray sean the father as a character who's even particularly interested in uh in trying to build up michael yeah. any any more than like he's a he's a he's a, the husband who sits on the tv and says sure sits and watches tv and says sure honey whenever the the wife says anything yeah. there's there's he's so bland of a character and i honestly in watching it wonder like what did the the actual real life person think of this of this portrayal of himself as a character who doesn't have any say in the family yeah. um doesn't doesn't work like he he runs or he owns, he owns several uh like taco bell franchises yeah but he doesn't seem to do anything he's never shown to have any kind of job in in the in the film i he he does watch tv a whole lot in the movie like a lot of the movie when we see him at home he's planted in front of the tv watching sports there they, they really only allow him one scene of bonding with michael and it's when uh michael is is he has to write uh, like a paper on a on a book or a, or a or a poem or something and so he runs across charge of the light brigade and sean takes notice of this because he knows he knows the poem and so mm-hmm. he well <laughs> he doesn't necessarily step away from the tv so much as his tutor played by kathy bates sort of prods him to go and help michael his i believe now adopted son mm. uh with with his uh homework or whatever and uh and so only then does he go and they have a night uh, what i think is actually a pretty nice exchange for about three and a half minutes at which point sean has helped michael decide what it is he's going to write his paper mm. about and then he just walks right on back, right to, the back TV, to the tv plunks himself down and it's like i've done my fatherly duty for the year yeah and it's and that's the thing is like I don't mean to cast aspersions on the man. I, no. I have no doubt that they probably developed a great relationship. Yeah, because how could they not? Yeah, absolutely. Like and just, but yeah, but the 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 way that, but that's the thing is clearly like this is a movie about Leanne Tui and to a lesser extent Michael Orr. Everything else is secondary, including any other meaningful relationship he might have actually had. Yeah, and it's just. Uh, uh, such a wasted opportunity there which kind of brings us to another thing that we th- we feel like uh the movie could have had potential for and did not is um we see michael's mother in the film uh yeah. but we we do not ever see michael with his mother no we see him coming to look for her one scene um well kind of two scenes yeah. and we do even see one where the mother talks about how uh, Michael has come and tried to, tried to find her several times. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like run away from foster homes or things to come and try and find her. So again, the movie sets up a potential 
uh, uh, tension moment and mm-hmm. then just doesn't do anything with it. Michael never tries to go back to his mother. Um, there's never any tension between his real mother and his adopted mother, Leanne. Not at all. The real mother's like, you're a good Christian woman. Yeah. And it's like, like Michael's actual mother uh, in real life and also portrayed in the film is like a, you know, a drug addict and, and just like that. It, she's a rather... She's not a, a negative character. She's a sad character. Yeah. But nonetheless, like, you know, somewhat drug-addled, and she's she speaks surprisingly well, and it seems like she might be... And she and Michael was taken away from her at a very early age, yeah. so it's not like she's going to be possessive of him. But I think you could have some conflict in which... It all goes to that I, to, to what I think the film could have been, which is examining our reasons for doing good. Because... For all the good that we do, we look good when we do it. Is that why we do it? Mm-hmm. It could be both. You could be doing the right thing for the right reason, but also be very aware of your own personal benefit at the same time. You could have had Michael's mother like lay into Leanne a little bit and saying, like, who do you think you are? You yeah. think you can just come in, you know, and just save the day because you're rich, because you're, you know, whatever. Like you have no idea what Michael's been through, what I've been through, you just think you know because yeah. he showed up on, you know, he showed up on your doorstep one day. Like right. it, like they could have explored that and then gone through so many opportunities to uh and they could have had so many opportunities to reinforce that idea. There's a movie that I love directed by Michael Mann. I have a poster of it right over there on the wall called The Insider and uh w- this is not the companion film but it's the story of this. It's a, based on a true story, incidentally, about this uh, tobacco executive who recognizes that the company is doing something that it shouldn't. He calls attention to it. He just he just talks to his superiors about it, and they say we're going to keep doing what we're doing, and they fire him. And so then he decides he's going to go public with it. Now, to the film's credit, it treats him as kind of a hero, but you also get the impression. If they had not fired him, would he be doing this? Hmm. Is this about doing the right thing or is this about getting revenge? Because we do see the character as being kind of spiteful mm-hmm. and he has a temper. And so, and then, but then it also asks the larger question that like, is it possible that a deeply flawed person can do stuff for their own reasons, can do the right thing for their own reasons, but it still is the larger right thing. And does that, and can that sort of redeem their original motivations? Yeah. That is a much more complex idea. Yeah. And the blind side ev- absolutely could have explored it, but yeah. was not interested at all. Yeah. And, and that I think is why it's, cause I think, I think John Lee Hancock is a dir- is a good director. I like the Alamo. Um, and I think this film is, is directed well. It's just the, the, the screenplay needs a lot of just needs so much work and it's just it's just a film that it's it's just a hallmark card of a film it's meant yeah. to be seen make you feel good and then you forget it the minute it's done yeah but um okay so that was the blind side <laughs> um and so we'll we'll start to get into the theme a little bit here and it's and it, this is going to be a little conceptual so i talked earlier about the idea of seeing people as people and what that means. Now, I talked about it mostly when it comes to people that you don't like. Mm-hmm. But here we have a movie in which it's characters that we do like. Yeah. And, and that we're meant to like. Right. But, but we never actually get to know them because the film only sees them 
in one or two dimensions because right. you like this character and you're only ever going to like this character so we will paint them in the broad with the broadest possible brush right leanne is only to be seen as again i'll say the magic christian yeah and uh, uh michael is only meant to be seen as the helpless uh, oppressed child yeah and just and every other character is meant to be seen as a support or an obstacle mm-hmm. and that's it yeah they, they, their motivations don't matter right michael's motivations don't even matter only yeah. her motivations matter and they are never questioned right so if if the film does want us to and the, the film definitely is earnest in it's it is its desire i think to to show us what a good thing it is that Leanne helps someone who didn't have a chance otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I think we can get on we can get on board with that. We can agree that like it is great and I think in in reality it is great that the family was able to help that the Tuies were able to help Michael. Absolutely. And um it's great that people who have means are willing to sometimes step outside of their comfort zone and uh use those those means to help people who don't have yeah. as much. So um as far as uh, it kind of wants us to think of Michael as it kind of wants us to think of him as a real person so that we as viewers might extend that same kind of charity to, to someone else. If say we were able to, if we are Leanne's who have a lot of money and who could help someone, I think it kind of wants us to, to, to think in that way. But um, it sees Michael too much as, purely a charity case right. like you were saying it has one note to play with him and so it doesn't give him uh it doesn't really see him as a person and when you do and that's the thing is when you do that you actually run into into a danger because because what if michael was a little not necessarily dangerous in the sense that he's going to like hurt somebody but like what if he was even harder to bring out of his shell like what if he was not giving them anything Mm. you know what i mean but he is whatever the story needs him to be and whatever leanne thinks he is and whatever the movie thing uh thinks he is and so it's just yeah that idea of because a movie like this it trains you to think in broad terms when it comes to relationships but relationships aren't like that and people aren't like that and so when you approach when you approach an actual person um, you know, I, I, there's a, uh, oh shoot, I don't totally remember the story and I don't even remember who told it, but there was, there was a story of, oh, I think it might've been, I think it might've been our pastor, uh, Rankin told in a, in a sermon, a story of like a church, uh, gave some money to one of its members. It wasn't even like, she wasn't even a member. She was like a single mom with several kids and she just couldn't really afford to to take care of them. And so I think she petitioned the church and said, like, hey, I, I need some money for rent and food and that sort of thing. And then they they gave her some money for rent and food and then discovered later that she spent it on bicycles for, the, for her kids. And they were furious. And they're like, well, we're never giving her any money again. Um, and then and then as as time went on, they're like, well, you know what, like. That might have been irresponsible of her, but at the same time, like, 
she had made a lot of bad decisions leading up to that. Did we expect her to make the perfect decision here? And incidentally, like she clearly wants her kids to have the nice things that other kids have. It's not the worst motivation. She just made a really bad decision. And are we just going to give her one chance and then it's done? Like, just because you're treating somebody as a charity case doesn't mean they're always going to do things exactly as you see they should. And then what do you do? You know, it's like, well, this isn't how it was in the blind side. Yeah, exactly. If you were to, it's almost like if you were to say uh, you've watched, uh, I'm trying to think of how to fully do this. And <laughs> this analogy seems like it's going to go a little crazy. Okay. But here we uh, go. say that, that uh, all you watch as a kid growing up was the movie Air Bud. Okay. Okay. It's about a dog plays basketball, right? Yeah. Okay. So then you you want a dog so badly. You you really want a dog. And then you get a dog and this dog cannot play basketball. You're like, "What's wrong with you?" Yeah. Why can't you play basketball? Now that would be a stupid thing to think, but if you've come to look at something only in one only in this one limited dimension, yeah. then that flaws your understanding of the thing as a whole. So I think that's what hap- that's what could happen if with this sort of attitude towards Michael, you see him as a nice, nice kid who comes into a certain situation immediately takes to it and, uh, things go great for him. But I know people who have taken in homeless people who have like robbed them or, uh, things like that. So like that, that happens not to say don't take in homeless people or don't help people. Right. But there's, there's a lot more to it than just, than the sort of situation that the blind side presents. Yeah, and it's it's not even so much assume people are good and when they turn out to be bad, hey, don't be surprised. That's not what we're saying, but then like but if you if you go in just always looking at the shallowest dimension and then you discover that somebody is more than that or in some cases less than what you thought, like if you only go in with that, you're going to be that angry kid whose dog doesn't play basketball <laughs> and you're just going to be like this dog sucks. Let's get rid of him. And I think that's that idea that it, we're making a joke, but that idea of let's get rid of them. That's ultimately what that church said is we're not helping her ever again. Mm-hmm. Let's get rid of her. Like she wasn't exactly what we thought she was going to be or what she should do. Never mind what she actually wanted to do, who she was before you gave her the money, and never mind the fact that you probably haven't made all the best decisions either all the time. You might need a, might have needed more than one chance. You know, like forget all of that. When you're only seeing somebody in one dimension, there's not a lot of room for error there. Um, and it's interesting because uh, in the movie, the uh, Michael gets brought into this private school by the coach, uh, and then is and then his. Michael's GPA is very low and so he can't play football and the coach like makes this early on makes this plea to like hey it's the Christian thing to do because it's a Christian private school it's the Christian thing to do to bring this kid in it's the right thing to do and you realize that that was all you know hogwash and that he actually just wanted this kid to play football Um, but then the kids grades are then Michael's grades aren't very good and so he can't play football. And then finally they get his grades up a little bit. And then he plays football not not very well. And the coach just has no patience. Like, I thought this kid was going to be great. And he even says, like, he's like, you know, those inner city kids, it's like usually they have a lot of aggression that they're just waiting to get out. And, and they're great at football as a result. And uh, 
And so he clearly sort of he's given up on Michael because Michael isn't immediately what he thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. And the film judges the coach for that. But the film does the same thing. It just doesn't treat the characters negatively. Yeah. It just says it just says, "Oh, this it's it's all the looking at them through a very broad filter, seeing them as only one dimension, but then it condemns one of its own characters for doing that exact same thing." Yeah. In the same way, uh later on in the film when uh when Michael's questioned by the NCAA people and uh he starts to get a little angry with Leanne at first, he he's in in kind of a blow up that he has to her he says do you think i'm stupid like i'm not stupid um but earlier in the film um we're made to believe at least that michael decides not to go to ole miss or sorry not not to go to tennessee mm-hmm. because his tutor tells him that there are bodies or parts of bodies buried under under the tennessee stadium yeah it's meant to be um, a humorous scene where she's okay what i'm about to say is going to be offensive and i apologize <laughs> okay but it's it, because in that scene, I I thought of something else, and the the other the thing I thought of was offensive, which is so Kathy Bates plays his tutor. She has gone to Ole Miss, and then she tells him this tale about like all these bodies that are buried under the football sta- stadium at Tennessee. So she's truly she's clearly trying to get him to see Tennessee unfavorably, right? And so, and but just like the look on his face. It reminded me because I've seen a lot of old silent films, hmm. and I know and like and this gets to the to the race thing, which I didn't want to harp too much on, but it did have this quality of like in old timey silent uh, silent movies, silent comedies. Like there was a there was like a Harold Lloyd film uh, it, that takes place in a haunted house, and there are like black people in it, and they are of course the ones that are the most terrified all the time because they're superstitious and they're yeah. simple minded and all that sort of thing. Or and it sort of it I I got that vibe. It has from that, that same scene. vibe. It's the same thing as and that Birth- is not complimentary. No, no, it's the same thing in Birth of a Nation. I think there's a scene where they dress yeah. as ghosts to scare off the 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 blacks yeah. at some point, which is. Yeah, and it's just ridiculous. Yeah, but but, um, but then he says, "I'm not stupid," and you right. almost want Leanne to be like, "Well, I was watching that scene earlier." Yeah, and you you look pretty dumb. So the film the film has has made us think that oh he's he is gullible enough that this sort of thing would affect his decision, or he's simple minded enough that this sort of thing would express would uh, uh, would affect his decision. And then for him to say like, "I'm not stupid," the film's judging anyone for acting like he's stupid yeah um which again is that same double standard of not seeing how one-dimensional you're showing this character yeah uh to then judge anyone who looks at him a different way and i think that's the that that's the other thing is when you when you approach a person only as what they are not so much who they are maybe that's kind of the the theme that we're we're talking about because what michael is is a a big black kid who's good at football (laughs) and he's got a gentle soul you know, and that sort of thing. Like, that's what he is. But who is he? Well, I don't know. And the film's not interested. Mm-hmm. It is only interested in what he is. And and when you're only interested in what somebody is, like, you'll probably be kind of okay with manipulating them into doing what it is you need them to do. Because mm-hmm. then they they fall into either an obstacle or a support. And so, like, the film needed him to be kind of superstitious and silly for that one comedic scene. Yeah. 
But then it also needs him to suddenly be self-aware and think himself smart for this other scene. It mm. treats the character so disrespectfully, and it's precisely because the film is not that in, is only interested in Leanne, not so much interested in Michael. Yeah. Um, and and so thematically, that is that is what uh, what we are talking about is is like approaching people as people, recognizing who they are, whether you agree with them or not, and just approaching them uh you know uh appropriately and so uh i've got some we're going to read through a number of things here uh and then we'll talk about the companion film very briefly and then we'll be done but um okay so some of these are going to seem somehow unrelated but i want to start with uh okay we'll start with first peter three i'll go ahead and read that Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Uh, I like this verse because, and it and it applies to what we're talking about because it it talks about, in this case, dealing with like non-believers and such, but just being respectful to them, being gentle as opposed to "Don't you question me, heathen" or something like that. It says, "Have an answer ready," but chances are if you're being gentle and respectful then the answer will not be this this rote thing it will be the answer to the question the person is asking you and you will probably be there there's probably a better chance that you actually will answer their question not merely correctly but in a way that they need to hear it yeah um so i've got there are a couple other uh there's another verse like that uh, and it's Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Um, Josh, I'll let you go ahead and read that. I'll do that. Uh, Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says, Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And that and that speaks to like the nuance of of conversing with other people, specifically people that don't know the th- that don't know the things you know or don't agree with the things that you believe. And just, but it's also it's saying go ahead and and be not aggressive, but you know make the most of every opportunity. It's don't let one go by, but when you Take advantage of that opportunity, always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer everyone. Not that you always have the answer, that you know how to answer everyone. Every specific person that comes to you, you know, if you're if you if you are if you approach them full of grace, then you will, like I said before, you'll know how to how to answer them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then here's an example. Uh, Matthew four verses eighteen through twenty. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Uh, And so Jesus saw these men, and he specifically said, he spoke in their terms. He didn't say, stop being fishermen and follow me. (laughs) He said, I will make you fishers of, of men like you will, which admittedly, like I remember when I first heard that, I'm like, that's kind of cryptic. Um, <laughs> but it's 
it's a different thing. It's not, it's not meant to be that they will capture them and gut them and eat them um, <laughs> or sell them. That's not what they mean. No. But, uh, but like Jesus assessed who they were and the terms and the way in which they approached life. Like mm-hmm. he approached them in a nuanced way. And I know that there are some people that would say that like, well, the gospel is universal. And it is. The truth of it is universal. Right. But but there's a way to speak to everyone about yeah. the gospel. There isn't, uh, like, if there was one thing that everyone all just needed to hear that one thing, and then they'd be fine, kind of like how you just need to hear Leanne tell you one thing, and then you know how to play football. Right. Um, if there were just one thing like that, then why did Jesus need to tell so many parables or why did he need exactly. to speak to so many different people in so many different ways? He would just say that one thing. It would be in the Bible. Everyone would just have to read it and be like, oh, all right, I get it. Yeah. Now, I'm, now I believe. Yeah. And um, everyone in the world would be Christian now. Yeah. Um, and God clearly knows, you know, God knows his creation and God knows that people are, uh, people are very complex. There's a lot more to people than meets the eye. Um, you know, it says in, it says in the Bible, only God knows a man's heart. Um, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He does. So just the idea that um, everybody requires, if you're going to be respectful and loving to everyone, mm-hmm. it requires really an understanding and a, a depth of understanding about who that person is. Yeah. Um, okay, so I've got, uh, there's some quotes here um, that that deal with, deal with, uh, the specific things that everybody brings to a conversation um, and what you as a Christian can can and probably should keep in mind when you talk to other people, Christian or otherwise. Uh, so first, this is from uh, Charles Swindoll. I know him as Chuck Swindoll for some reason, but uh, he goes by Charles here. Uh, Fortunately, God made all varieties of people with a wide variety of interests and abilities. He has called people of every race and color who have been hurt by life in every manner imaginable. Even the scars of past abuse and injury can be the means of bringing healing to another. What wonderful opportunities to make disciples. And that is, that sort of speaks to what I was saying before, which is if you, if you run across somebody who, who is different than you, even if even aggressively so like you can use your own experiences maybe you don't even say it but just be like well hey i've been hurt too i probably have reacted like this person at that at one time so mm-hmm. uh, that immediately causes i think a grace uh that you extend towards them uh specifically but if you are if you're only treating them in the broadest sense of the word you're treating them as what they are not who they are then mm-hmm. you'll just be like this guy's a jerk. He's not worth, you know, he's not worth talking about the gospel to. Um, okay. So, uh, let's read a few more. The next one is from mother Teresa. Josh, I'll let you take that one. All right. Mother Teresa said, never worry about numbers, help one person at a time and always start with the person nearest you. I like that one a lot. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but uh, the idea here is that the person nearest you is probably the one you know the most about mm-hmm. and you are the best equipped to talk to them the way in which they need, they need to be talked to. Yeah. Um, not the way in which you think they should be talked to. That's an interesting thing. It reminds me of, uh, those who are Christians will know a lot about, uh, missions and missions trips maybe. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's been a lot said about, uh, people taking, you know, like a week long trip to some, some place out, you know, wherever. And, uh, a lot of those are great. A lot of those are great opportunities for both the people they help and, and a lot of times for the people going, they'll have, uh, you know, it can change, it can change them. 
But um, a lot of statistics and things show that uh, people who are there in that community are the ones who are best equipped to make some kind of lasting change in that community. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, it's, it's, Definitely not wrong to say fly to India and help build a school or something there, but uh, the people who were there are are the most effective ones. And what we should take from that is not that we don't need to do that, but we are in communities, and what can we do for the communities that we're in? What right. can we do for the people that are near to us? Because yeah. that's where we can have the most most effective. That's where we can make the most effective changes. Yeah, I uh, there's a. a a uh, quote here from Lee Strobel uh, saying, I've seen far too many Christians who are more than willing to travel halfway around the world to volunteer for a week in an orphanage, but who cannot bring themselves to take the personal risk of sharing Jesus with the coworker who sits day after day in the cubicle right next to them. Um, And just the idea of like, and that's the thing, there's nothing wrong with traveling to another part of the, uh, another part of the country. There's nothing wrong with that uh, at all. But, we just uh, need to not value that above right. what we can do in our own, like, in our own surroundings, yeah. in our own communities. You know, and to bring it to the to the blind side, certainly I don't, uh, you know, I don't uh, devalue what Leanne and Sean Tui did. No. But it's worth noting, she treats uh, Michael with respect and love, and that's fine, because he clearly needs it. The women in her group, in her little social group, that display a certain degree of prejudice and judgment, she has nothing but judgment for them. Mm-hmm. She doesn't try to get them on board with her. She doesn't try to, to minister to them in some way. She merely says, shame on you, and walks away. And the film applauds her for that attitude. Absolutely. And it's another example of like, it, it's, it almost seems like the film is saying like, it's like, hey, we're not giving all rich people a pass. Look at these monsters. I'm really only giving Leanne Tui a pass. So it's fine. Um, but it's what, but that's an example of what we're talking about. Like so many people are willing to, to forego the person right next to them, the person in the cubicle next to them, like their own city and say, Hey, and we, you know, we live in Los Angeles. I mean, I've heard Christians speak very disparagingly about Los Angeles. Um, and it can be a very difficult place to be a Christian, but they act as though it's done. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, it's like, all right, so God's given up on on Los Angeles clearly, so let's all go to Haiti or something like that. And it's like God is needed everywhere. And in fact, by living in Los Angeles, you might have a better feel for what these people need. That might be why you're here. Yeah. So um, I think I'll uh, – yeah, okay. I'll say this. Um, here's a quote by Oswald Chambers. Uh, I'll let you read it, Josh, actually. Okay. Uh, Oswald Chambers said, The real test of a saint is not one's willingness to preach the gospel, but one's willingness to do something like washing the disciples' feet. That is, being willing to do those that seem unimportant in human estimation, but count as everything to God. Okay. So, I don't want you to take the wrong idea from that, that like, eh, preaching the gospel isn't that important. But it, it does speak to this idea of assessing what a person's need is, mm-hmm. and, uh, and addressing that. You know, it's... Uh, I don't remember where in the Bible it is, but it, it, it addresses the idea of if somebody is in need, if somebody is hungry, if somebody doesn't have any clothes, you say, someone saying like, oh, I wish you well, yeah. and then they go along their way. It's like, no, you have to yeah. feed them, you have to clothe them, and then they might be in a better position 
to hear the gospel. But at the same time, and this goes to what we've been talking about, the person, they might be fed and clothed and they might not be at all receptive to the gospel. Are you then going to be like, give me my, give me the clothes back. (laughs) You know, you're where I'm done with you. I only did this. So you could, it's like, this is what the person needs. And maybe someone down the, maybe down the line, they will remember who you are and why you might've done this thing. You know, it's just because again, like you, if you see someone only as needy, then you will address that, but probably for your own reasons. And if they wind up being more than what you thought they were, then, all right, I've, I'm, I've had enough. Um, it reminds me of, uh, an exchange in Citizen Kane where the, uh, the main character is a, a politician for a while and he keeps talking about the working man and he wants to, you know, he wants to help them. He does everything he can for the working man. And then his friend is like, eh, the day may come when you discover that, uh, the working man wants something as their right, not as your, not as your gift. <laughs> uh, you know, and so. Uh, so I do briefly want to talk about the companion film because I love it so much. Um, it is one of my favorite movies of all time. It is called Reversal of Fortune. It came out in 1990. It was directed by Barbette Schroeder, who directed uh, Barfly, Single White Female, Murder by Numbers. And what's interesting... And Idi Amin Dada. <laughs> yes, that's right. He's a, he's an odd director. General Idi Amin Dada? Maybe? General Idi Amin Dada, yeah. Which is an interesting documentary. Just that's, that's a fast... We've, we've mentioned it on the show before, I yeah. think, when we talked about evil. That's that's one, if uh, if you haven't seen it, I would certainly seek it out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's and it's interesting, because if you look at his uh, filmography, you'd, you find that he actually is... He mostly directs, like, thrillers. Now, of course, that's a documentary, and mm-hmm. Barfly's a drama. But Reversal of Fortune is like a real-life drama that at times is treated like a sort of mystery. Yeah. Um, and sort of, and what's more like an old time mystery, like uh, <laughs> like a whodunit at times, which is kind of an odd way to approach it. Yeah. Uh, it was written by Nicholas Kazan and it was based on the book by Alan Dershowitz. Uh, and it, and it recounts the, up until the OJ trial, uh, the Klaus von Bülow trial was the trial of the century in the early eighties. Mm-hmm. And uh, Klaus von Bülow was a very uh, wealthy man who was married to a wealthy woman. And then one day she went into a coma because she had been possibly injected with insulin. And she was in a coma for 30 years. I believe she just passed away within the last couple of years. Hmm. Uh, and so he was found, he was tried and convicted of attempted murder. And there was an element to the story that people, fa- the idea of like these wealthy people murdering each other and and like with poison instead of guns like it sounds so much like a soap opera which is i think what draws people in yeah but it was and that's and that's the thing is so like so in telling the story of these people uh the the director could have just had it be a soap opera and at times it is a little bit almost because it but it in that sense it, it almost toys with the way we have viewed the perception these that we have of it. Yeah. yeah. And it would have been so easy for the filmmaker to do that because that's why people were interested in this exactly. story. And that might even be what drew people to the movie is because of the, the scandal of something mm-hmm. like this. But this, you know, Schroeder decides he's not, he's not going to approach the subject that way. Right. He's going to give, uh, this seemingly, you know, on the surface, despicable character, uh, he's going to give him a fair shake. Yeah. And he's going. And what's more, he's going to remember the victim because that's the thing is when dealing with a soap opera, like the victim is also this melodramatic idea, yeah. uh, and then and then Klaus von Bülow is this cold, unfeeling monster, right? 
and and that's the thing is Sonny Von Bulow, his his uh, wife who uh, was put in the coma, um, she was melodramatic, but it's because she was so deeply unhappy and just and the idea that like anybody who says like who says like ah the wealthy they've got it so easy and they do in many ways watch reversal of fortune you'll be like it's clearly you can use money to sort of insulate yourself from other people and become the loneliest most unhappy person in the world as Mm. sonny von bulow does yeah uh and then so but but there's a real tragedy there's a real a genuine sadness to her story because she you get the impression she really does want love and she she has love to give, but she happens to have married this guy who's very suave and debonair and has an idea of what like a man should be, uh, certainly an upper an upper class man. Um, and he just doesn't have much to give back. But that doesn't mean he doesn't care. That's mm-hmm. the thing is the film. I like you watch The Blind Side, and I know, and all these characters seem like characters out of a movie, and I don't feel like they exist in real life, even though they do. Mm-hmm. Reversal of Fortune, which has a pretty slick veneer on it, I have a sense of almost of at least three or four characters in that film. Yeah, and chiefly among them, these these tabloid this tabloid couple, Klaus and Sonny von Bülow, I get a strong sense of who they are, mm-hmm. and and their conflicts and their problems, yeah. and like uh, it it presents this it really gets into the to the grid of this story and makes it makes you wonder what was going on with them because yeah. it, it has to be complex um to really treat this story fully it really has to show you there there could have been a lot of different things going on there like um and so in, in its in the film's desire to be truthful to those characters it it becomes very complex because people are complex yeah and what's interesting is it toys with the idea that you can never totally know these people but in in acknowledging that fact you actually get to know them more yeah because in actuality you know you'll never know a man until you walk a mile in his shoes Mm -hmm. you know like you're never going to know exactly what happened with the von bulos but once you acknowledge that you can you can at least start to recognize what is there yeah. And so you have a general idea of who they are, but you have a much more specific idea than you do in a movie like The Blind Side. Yeah. Um, so I have I've specifically not said any spoilers for Reversal of Fortune. Um, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It was nominated for Best Director and Best Screenplay that year, and it won Best Actor for Jeremy Irons, who plays Klaus von Bülow. Uh, Glenn Close plays Sonny von Bülow, and the uh, late, great Ron Silver played uh, Alan Dershowitz, uh, Von Bulow's attorney and it's just a really it's a fun movie it's a sad movie it's it's I don't know I I found I'm I was so responsive to it I saw it I first saw it let's see I'm gonna say my freshman or sophomore year of high school um and it just it was unlike any movie I had seen at the time (laughs) and uh and at the time I had I kept a personal top five and uh, it's very different than my top five now, with the exception of Jaws. Jaws has, re- has remained, but uh, Predator has fallen out of it. <laughs> uh, Usual Suspects, I think, is out of my uh, top hundred in general, as as is Predator, of course. Um, but I remember, like, my top five for a long time was like Jaws, Usual Suspects, The Blues Brothers, Aliens, and Predator. And then with each with each new real movie I saw, it's like, <laughs> all right, I guess Predator has to go in favor of Reversal of Fortune. Um, <laughs> 
And so it was... There's uh, a lot of similar... You know, there's a fascinating college paper to be written there on a compare and contrast between Predator and Reversal of Fortune. I could see that. Listener, surprise me. <laughs> if, if any of you are out there in, uh, in uh, college looking for something interesting to write on... Seriously, if someone did write a compare and contrast paper on that, please I, send I it to me. I will post it on the site. I would be fascinated to read that. Um, okay, but yeah, so if you haven't seen Reversal of Fortune, which is probably pretty likely, uh, please seek it out. It's a wonderful film, and I, I love it quite a bit. And I'm, I might be overselling it a little bit. I like it more than almost anybody I know, but it is at the very least fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but it, and all the more so because it treats its characters who absolutely could have been broad strokes, almost cartoons, soap opera, anything. It treats these characters with genuine respect and fascination. And because it does that, the film winds up being so much more than just just a, a portrait of this thing that everybody already thought they knew. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, okay. So that's what, that's what uh, we can learn from the blind side, specifically what not to do. And uh, and reversal of fortune. Do you have anything uh, that you'd like to say as a, as sort of a wrap up comment? I feel like we've we've already said quite a bit. I think we've we've covered pretty much everything. I, I think um, we've been talking about how a film is more effective when it shows a character. It shows more dimensions to a character, and when it gives them a chance to have real conflict and real complexity, and that. Uh, the same goes for the way that we look at people. If we look at them simply as a, you know, like one one factor, <laughs> if you look at somebody and all you get is that they are a woman or are you, all yeah. you get is that they are a Republican or something like that, mm-hmm. um, that uh, is, is not a fair assessment of any person. Um, and that actually, uh, I will piggyback on that a little bit to say something that I was going to, I was going to do a whole mini-sode of this, but I don't think it warrants a whole mini-sode. Um, and I talked about it a little bit in the very first minisode, which was called Us and Them, but uh, I'm reminded of it very much so in this uh, election season. Uh, being on Twitter and being on Facebook and being friends with a lot of listeners of More Than One Lesson and Battleship Pretension, uh, you know, people will post stuff that addresses a certain philosophy. And, and the post is not merely a statement of disagreement. It is a statement of derision and disdain. And disdain. And there are a couple people that I've had to unfriend uh, because they say stuff that just is absolutely insulting of Christianity. It's not merely that it says, hey, be more respectful of atheism. Mm -hmm. It is insulting of Christianity. And then there are other people that are insulting of conservatism. I consider myself a conservative, but I have plenty of liberal friends and I understand the I understand the impulse to be a liberal person. And so I recognize that I sometimes can be uh, insulting of other people and that's, you know, nobody's perfect certainly. But but there are people that just they put this stuff out there and they are addressing an idea and they are not realizing this idea these ideas are held by people and you would never and the stuff that you are posting here you would never say to me face to face because you'd be like oh i don't want to hurt their feelings take take from this episode this idea that like when you address and when you address the broad idea of something chances are like people individuals can get hurt one way or another yeah and I, I hope when I was uh, saying that earlier, I didn't in any way make it seem like 
<laughs> like being a woman or a Republican is a bad thing. No, not at all. Seeing someone as that, like, oh, well, that person's a woman. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to suggest that either of those are bad things to be, obviously. Um, but just I, I just keep bring those up as things that that that's one detail about a person mm-hmm. and if you let something about that one detail be it good or bad right. to totally determine how you think of that person that that's not fair to, to the other person that's not fair to yourself and um that's certainly not the way that we as christians ought to look at other people yeah when you when you approach the world in a really broad sense you will only ever respond to it in broad ways which is all po- again positive or negative is just setting yourself up for some kind of failure or or possible hurt if not you certainly somebody else yeah so all right thank you everybody for listening i'm glad we were able to keep this episode somewhat short um all right to repeat uh go to more than one lesson.com click on the uh the for the title uh button there get yourself a copy josh will send it out to you in let's say four to six weeks um i want to <laughs> give you some you know, give you some leeway there. Yeah. But, uh, can be pretty quick about that. Also, there is, um, I don't, is there a link to the trailer on the website currently? Yes, there is a, it has its own page. You can see the trailer, you can see the description and, and you can, uh, click on, uh, the PayPal button to, to just buy it. Again, you don't need a PayPal account. You can go with a debit card or, or a credit card as well. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you can do that and I would, I would encourage you to do so. I've seen the film and I think it's very funny. If you are a fan of Christopher Guest, certainly you will enjoy it. Uh, okay, so that's more than one lesson dot com. Uh, you can go there for various sermon recommendations, past episodes, and and speaking of videos, there are other videos uh, containing like the works of like past guests, mm-hmm. uh, including a couple things that I've been in. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then you can email me if you have any questions or comments. You can email me Tyler at more than one lesson dot com. You can email Josh Josh at more than one lesson dot com. You can follow me on Twitter Twitter dot com slash more lessons and you can follow josh at the josh long at the josh long uh and i would i would ask um it's been a while since we've gotten any uh, like reviews on uh itunes and i would like some so yeah head on over to itunes and uh, write us a nice review let us know what you think we're always we're always happy to hear anything that anybody has to think we're you know we're uh we're not sitting up on our ivory towers just dispensing uh dispensing podcasts to the masses um although i've i've gotten i've gotten criticism in the past by like naming this podcast what it is and having it and the website being sort of chalkboard themed that it seems as though i'm the teacher and you are merely the student not you (laughs) specifically but you the listener um and uh and it's like i guess that's sort of the idea but yeah sure why not yeah but I certainly don't think myself uh, better than you guys. Well, maybe one person. You know who you are. It's me. It's Josh. So, um, but yeah, we are we are always excited to hear what people are thinking, what people are liking, or even not liking. Um, we're we're happy to to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. And the next episode that we record will be about the Kenneth Lonergan film Margaret. Ooh. which uh, is a film that was uh, criminally underseen and is now available on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, seek it out so that you can listen to the next episode. In the meantime, thank you for listening, Josh. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And I'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.